What's happening? This is Ryan here for the Scale Up Show. I have Ryan Wiedig, who is the CEO and founder of Vasion, who went from zero, is about to approach 70 million in 11 years, and walks through his strategy specifically for execution, what he would do if he went back in a time machine and had to start all over again, and the biggest mistake he made. You're not going to want to miss this, and I hope you check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Ryan Wiedig, who is the president and CEO of Vasion, which is formerly Printer Logic responsible for building and growing the team on his way from zero to 70 million over 11 years. Ryan, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, I can't go wrong having another Ryan on the show. Um, no, we used to partner with you a long time ago, so it was pretty cool seeing you come full circle and see how far the, the company's come from when you started at Printer Logic. So we'd love to get into your background. Before we do, let's do a real quick revenue rundown so everyone has an understanding of where you're at in terms of the stage of the journey. So where are you guys at in terms of your ARR right now? Right now, we're looking uh, through the end of the year, we'll probably hit right around $70 million in ARR. That's awesome, man. Congrats on that. That's a big, big milestone to hit. Uh, and then how big is your team? Uh, just over 300, 300 folks around the globe. Okay. So you got, um, got offices in, in uh, London and Frankfurt. Um, Really strong team in the Philippines, strong team in Mexico, and a really good contingency in Canada. Uh, the rest of that's uh, kind of half of it's probably here in St. George, which is our headquarters, and then another chunk kind of, of U.S.-based folks around uh, the rest of the U.S. Excellent, ma'am. What, so what's your primary go-to-market for, for revenue growth and like how are you growing the company? Well, yeah, it's, it, it's been an interesting journey. I mean, like when we first got going, um, we were very much in the, the print space. So go to market. Um, the first attempt was really to try to get the, the folks in the managed print service provider groups to understand our value proposition, get excited about it. And, and I came from Cisco, right? So uh, as we developed a, a go to market strategy, it was just obvious. You would never want to develop a direct sales team. You just get the channel partners to fall in love with you and away, away you go. Um, but didn't really work out that way. It turned out that I would, I'd say that the technology that we were pushing was novel enough and innovative enough that it was, it was kind of a, a tough sell for an industry that was really established and staunched with, with like the, the products that they were selling. And so um, pretty quickly, we realized we needed a strong direct sales um, ability and capability. So we, we built out a, a direct sales team it was like a hybrid direct sales and, and a hybrid channel. The other thing that we noticed was um, our value proposition was much more fun. Like we didn't go to like the print management shows. Like you, we wouldn't go to like Xerox or Canon or these kinds of shows and try to sell amongst people buying printers. Um, our, our, our mission was to eliminate print servers. That's what we were really focused on, which is much more of an IT infrastructure play, which played into my background. And so we would go to Citrix Synergy. We'd go to VMworld. We would go to uh, Microsoft Ignite. We were really trying to get to the system admins and explain to them how, 
actually getting rid of your print servers was possible, which was very much an infrastructure play. I mean, we would even go to, we would go to Cisco live, right? Because, you know, how do we, how do we get that, that print traffic to stay local, eliminate the print server and not bugger up your, your network. Right. So um, we were from the get go um, creating a, a, a sales force that we could um, just make a, a four-legged sales call and and get in with customers and explain to them how we can get a really quick ROI by removing infrastructure. And um, of course, this is back in 2012. So it was in the context of private cloud. People weren't really trusting the public cloud at the time. Um, and we had kind of a web stack that was a really great replace, you know, 400 print servers with a single web stack instance in your, in your private cloud. So that was the technology we really got going with. Um, and those were the, 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 the go-to-market strategies, but because we were eliminating infrastructure, we actually really quickly opened up our channel to not just the print management folks, but also to just traditional IT VARs. And, um, you know, they were out there trying to figure out how to create private clouds. And um, that, that, that seemed to be a good opportunity to say, while you're at it, how do we get rid of your print servers? And that's really how we carved out a niche for ourselves was just going to those early adopters as innovators that wanted to go heavy into, into private cloud. And if you fast forward to today, um, a lot of that has changed in that um, public cloud's been adopted. Mm -hmm. And so what that did is it opened up an opportunity back in 2016, we were really the first to go and create a, um, a true SaaS version of, of print management that allowed people to do direct IP without the job coming back to us, but like keeping it on your network and, and being able to keep those print jobs local and do that in, in SaaS, with SaaS. And so by 2019, that had become a very strong product for us. Um, and we built out the first MSP portal. And so that became a very interesting kind of go-to-market strategy for us because uh, up to that point, we were all enterprise. Like the, the more print servers you had, the more printers you had, the, the better our value proposition worked out. And because we were involved with a four-legged sales call, economics just didn't make sense. You know, we couldn't, when you looked at the cost to acquire a customer uh, on a four-legged sales call, we couldn't go in and, and try to land a four-printer uh, customer. Our, our technology would be great for those folks, but they didn't have enough print servers, enough locations, to really justify the ROI and, and, and on our end to, to justify the CAC. By the time you looked at the total lifetime value, it'd be forever to recover. So um, when we went to the true SaaS model and opened up that MSP portal, all of a sudden, the go-to-market just mushroomed into the whole SMB because it was really cool to be able to go to those MSPs and say, "Look, you know, you buy a you buy a stack of fifty, you become the support interface between us and the product." And these are these small businesses are just like branches to you, and you can go out and you can um, sell to them, service them, everything that they love about you. And, you know, make some upside on the solution and they fall even more in love with you because you made printing easier. And for us, you, you don't look like, you know, 10, 10 printer shops. You look like a hundred printer um, enterprise, which is right in line with the kinds of folks we want to deal with. So the MSP portal has been really great, really great part of our, our go-to-market strategy is just, it's actually just exploding.
That's interesting, man. So what's the what's the percentage of like revenue or customers on the MSP side, like the SMB side versus like the classic enterprise side? Because I didn't even know you guys were playing um, in that so space. The, yeah. So 2019 is where we launched that portal. 20 is when I'd say it really had matured to the point where we had all the things that the majority of MSPs needed to kind of get going with. So over the last three years, it's gone from zero to uh, probably 15% of our revenue. But what's interesting is um, the, um, the the growth rate <laughs> and the number of customers. So if you look at it from revenue perspective, but if you look at it from from customer perspective, it's up over 50% of our customers. Oh, wow. Okay. I see what you're saying. So, so like, because we, we call them indirect, right? Because they're going through the MSP portal and the MSP channel, but like, it's really very, very powerful. And it, like I said, that's the thing that's just mushrooming. And, and that's, that's that dream that we had at the beginning. Right. But it turns out it wasn't the print people who were interested in our value proposition, interested in learning something about new and novel, interested in figuring out how to really truly add value back to uh, the the customer. They just wanted to kind of like sign a lease on a printer, sign the paper that got the thing out of the way and they made their money and boom, and then the sales guys were out of it. That's changing now. Um, and what we're, we're actually starting to see is public cloud adoption has, is really coming to full force. Uh, instead of us going out and trying to push our product through that, that traditional print channel, we're seeing a huge pull from the customers dragging those guys into our product, whether they like it or not. And, and there are some really great partners in that space that are innovative, that are building out IT practices, that are saying, I have a good relationship on the, this print lease thing that I've had and I've been good to them and I understand technology. They trust us as a technology partner. And now we're going to move into the IT side. I, I could start naming some really cool names that I, I just am super proud of the work that's going on over there. And we're like a shoe in for them because they're like, hey, you've been telling us this for five years or 10 years in some cases. And now it's really cool to be able to um, just, just have, a, have an IT strategy that can keep up with the innovation that's going on on that elimination of, okay. of, of infrastructure con- conversation. Sounds good, man. That, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It's, that's uh, fantastic growth, especially I can't, I mean, Three years, 50% of your customers, I get why the dollar value would be different. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's let's talk about, you know, like you went from zero and are on track to 70 million in 11 years. I guess like and it just judging by what you walk through, it sounds like there's been some twists and turns along the way. Right. So like there is every every single story. So like, how did you do that? And like, what would you say is like your key formula for making that happen? formula uh i know that's a loaded question right no it's not i mean like the key formula this is really i had a really interesting conversation 
with one of my my team members, one of the guys that reports directly to me, and he and he brought up this um, he brought up this diagram, right? And and I'm I'm trying to consume this this slide. It has uh, it basically says if you achieve if if you measure success, there's there's what you there's what you're shooting for, right? Mm-hmm. As success, and then there's what you achieve. And if you measure the difference between what you've achieved and what you shot for, you're always going to be depressed and sad. And then on the flip side of that, if you shot for the stars and you only got to the moon, but you measure what you actually accomplished, then you could feel like you achieved success and um, you're happy and you're excited and you're elated. And so um, I look at this thing, it takes me a minute and I consume it and I'm like, so basically the guy's just, like whoever wrote this is just trying to say like, do you see the glass half empty or half full? Like you don't need a diagram to say that. Like, it's just pretty simple. And, and I was like, I've just never operated that way. Like, I don't even care. Like, I don't, I don't like the word success is kind of a, a silly concept because the only way it's a, it's a subjective measurement. Like mm-hmm. the only way you can say that you achieve success or didn't achieve success is based on some arbitrary measurement, right? Like is success to one person that I have like the house on the hill with the fancy car and then the, the model on my arm. Maybe that's somebody's idea of success. Maybe somebody else's, I've got like five happy, healthy kids. Mm-hmm. And that's like, who, like what is the word success? So the key to answer your question for, for me is like to absolutely be totally uninterested in success. And be 100% focused on performance because performance isn't subjective. Like you can sit down any given day and you can take an objective measurement of performance. Like it is what it is. And from that place, you could, you can make a forecast on what can I do in performance to create additional upgrades to get to the next place. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's, that's the key to this whole thing. Like, you know, we've, we've, um, we've gotten to a place where, you know, instead of, instead of me and my partner in shared office space down by the river, <laughs> literally down by the river, um, uh, you know, next to the, to the post office, we've gone from that to uh, a, a small set of buildings that we leased to a really beautiful, awesome building. And a lot of times people will come through, they'll walk through this new building. They kind of ask the same type of question of like, ah, did you, did you ever imagine, or did you like, you know, like, can you believe that you're, and it's like, for me, the key to answering your question is I, I, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> like the building wasn't like something to aspire to, to measure success. Like the building, like we, we needed a building that was inspiring to walk into because the imagination and the creativity of the people that walk into our building, that is our product. Mm-hmm. And I, we need to create as a company, we got to create something that maximizes their ability to let that out. And we've got X amount of people now and X amount of people in the future. And that's what performance is going to look like in the future. So when we built the building, it wasn't like some shrine to success. It was like, okay, here's where we're at on performance today. Here's where we want to be in performance in the future. And this is what the thing should look like to achieve that upgrade. 
And then we built that. Like, but, but like, it's, it's kind of an interesting, like, it's an interesting concept when people like, like, can you, could you ever imagine having arrived here? Like arrived where? And that's the, that to me is the key is like, don't, don't be focused on arriving somewhere. Just be committed to performance, like understanding where you're at in performance and understanding what the next upgrade looks like. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great perspective to look at it from. And so like, how, so as a CEO, like what are the top three to five things from a, that you use to personally measure performance of the organization? I know it's hard to probably break it down to three to five, but if you had to like to create and emulate that success, if you had to start all over again, what would that be? So number one, and, and this would be, this would have been not even on my list. So I'm talking to, I'm talking to Orion that was sitting next to Jarrett. And that was the company <laughs> with a contractor in Canada doing our development. Like that was the company, right? So I'm talking to that kid. And, and what I would say is, Culture is nowhere on your list. It should be the most important thing on your list. At least, maybe not. No, let me, let me refit. That should be the second most important thing on your list right now. Culture. And it's just so hard when you're in that position because culture, is, when you're there, is like naturally writing itself through the nature of the way that you hire. Um, we, one, of, one, one of our values is uh, we use a book called Radical Candor. We actually had Kim Scott come in and 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 in one of our kickoffs and she's just an incredible lady i love i love that book it can be misinterpreted really easily because a lot of times when people hear this concept of radical candor they they want to say oh cool like you build a culture where you can just kind of say whatever you want to say <laughs> to be direct right and it's true you, that is the end goal is to get to a place of like radical honesty but there's there's in her in her diagram up up the vertical, her, uh, the vertical part of that box, right? That mm-hmm. the quadrant model that she delivers on is care personally. So, so culture was unintentionally very, very actively being created when it went from me and my partner to starting to hire people. We through the hiring process, you're creating culture, and that's what I would say is like. Why would we work on culture when culture is who we hire and they get it or they don't and, and all this. Um, but I, I wish that by the time we got, like if I had to go back and say what was an important measure of performance is like the health of your culture. And you can measure the health of your culture. Like we actively measure our ENPS score right now, our employee net promoter score. Like we measure that and we look at our engagement studies and like religiously. So that's a measure of performance. And if I had to go back and start over again, the second we got past 20 people, like those 20 key people that we hired that knew that I cared personally, like I'm an intense guy, right? Like no doubt about it. There's, there's some nuclear furnace that drives most entrepreneurs and their intensity is, is what kind of helps you go from, you know, $500,000 in the hole after six months to escape velocity and all of that paid off six months later. Like there's a certain level of intensity that's got to show up to create that kind of stuff. But when you start to go past those first 20 people who are like all in on that, and then people you hired are starting to hire people, the care personally component 
is not a given anymore. Mm -hmm. And it can absolutely blow up in your face. You know, I mean, like things that made sense and the culture that you thought you had is being actively created by that next set of hires. And it's not that they're bad hires or bad people. It's just that to scale the skill set that you're bringing in is requiring a broader set of personalities. And, and as you do that, man, you've got to be actively measuring the performance of your culture and how that's relating back to people. So I would say um, that's, that's um, so that probably. You said that was number two. What, What's number one? Yeah. I would say that's probably number two. Cause now I'm going back to like, there's, there's this, there's this other thing that occurred I remember, so I worked with Jarrett before we named it Printer Logic and we, you know, we launched the, the Printer Logic brand. He had a company called Printer Properties Pro and it kind of, the technology is kind of merged from Printer Properties Pro eventually into, into Printer Logic. I met Jarrett a year into Printer Properties Pro um, to do business management stuff. It was, it, was, it was a product that serviced Novell. So it was kind of like, on the on the down curve, but there was there was plenty for a lifestyle business. He did really well. It was it was awesome. Um, but that's when I first got to know him. And as a develop as a business development manager, I um, he came to me one day and he said, Ryan, like there's this there's this tech rag. I can't even remember the name of it. He's like, we should have full page ads in here because people need to know about our product, and this would be this would be great. And I said, okay, yeah, like, absolutely. Let me go figure it out. So I, I get a hold of the rag. I um, got, I think, I think I chopped up six pages to make six full pages into some quarters and some halves and one full or something. So we could be in there for a year and just really get our name out there. And, and like, I remember after 12 months, us looking at each other. And that's when I learned the old marketing adage, like, um, Jarrett, we're pretty sure that 50% of our marketing spend is working. We just don't know which 50%, mm-hmm. you know? And, and up to that point, all the other marketing he had done, it was, it was far enough in to the, this was 2002, 2003. Um, it, we were far enough in where all the other marketing he had done was tagged. It was like, you know, like you just, you knew exactly where they, from, from what banner ad they had clicked on or whatever, what email was sent, you knew but, but we didn't know that about this. And so when we came back and, you know, we wrote the business plan for Printer Logic, we got going on it. That was just seared into my memory. And, and because culture is great, but if you can't get to escape velocity, it's not going to matter. Right. <laughs> right. So um, culture is kind of just, you, you can get away with the rough, raw hiring the network, the care personally is built in on the culture first. And, and that is critical that you're not actively thinking about culture, that you've just hired the right people at first, because knowing what spend and like really, really early on, like from the start, when we sat down in 2012 and said, how's this going to be? Like we bought a five seat Salesforce license for the two of us, you know, which was a big spend. And, but we knew we could map out our processes, understand and start doing analytics. I mean, if you use Salesforce like most people do, it's a big waste of money. <laughs> but if you use Salesforce the way you can use it, there's there's massive power in understanding, you know, where in the sales cycle is it breaking down? What are our conversion rates across each of these stages that we've identified in our sales process? 
And if you actively study those, by the time we were at 2013, so like just a year and a half into business, we had a Domo instance. This was before Domo really had, had matured, but we knew that business intelligence, because the, the amount of time we were taking to manage all the spreadsheets that we were updating every day to get those analytics, to know those conversion percentages, all that stuff, like knowing those conversions, knowing every dollar that goes out, what is the actual value back to the business, being able to spend money on test holes, knowing that you're going to get actionable data back. Like this is, this, this is the critical part. Like that's why I put it first in front of culture. And, and it's, and it's not that it's actually superseding culture. It's just that if you, when you first get going, culture is, you, you just have to hire right and culture has to be a given. So as soon as you get to that point where your BI is, is speaking to you and you understand, you know, where money is going that's good and where money is going is bad. As soon as you understand the next thing to move to is culture. And I didn't do that until way, way later than I should. I didn't even know it was a thing. And so I would say those would be kind of the two critical measures of, 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 performance that have to be in place to take off to really achieve escape velocity. Okay. That makes sense. So data, data versus outcomes, and then the health of the culture, or I should say cultural, obviously with an underlying factor of like employee MPS and, and making sure that you hire properly so that it could scale the way that you want to, while also constantly having your pulse on it. Right. So yeah. Um, I think that's, that's really strong. What about like right now, right? Like, so you've, you've matured as a company, you're approaching 70 million. What's the, your single biggest challenge to growing the business right now in terms of, well, I think right now, um, so in 2000, uh, the end of 2018, really going to 2019, not only did we, um, decide that we were going to go into a pure SaaS play on our primary product which has been wildly successful. I mean, absolutely took the market by storm is number one by far in serverless on um, serverless print management. And it's, um, it's a, it's a really great base from which to do new and innovative things. Right. So um, what the challenges we have ahead is in 2000 and in end of 18 going into 19, when we made an acquisition of a company called Maxfall, we were looking at, what are the market adjacencies that we could do to expand? You know, we know how to build software. We've got a great sales team. Our channel partners have developed and grown. We see this MSP portal as something that really can be a differentiator. Like we had all these things, but we had one product, mm-hmm. one. And so that acquisition was, uh, I, we're, we're about four and a half years into a five-year plan from making that acquisition take us from a single product to a multi-product company. And when I say that, it's, it's, it's a multi-product platform, um, a multi-featured platform, which definitely incorporates six, seven very distinct point products in the market today. But we see an opportunity to actually make a single platform where all those things come together to help automate business process whether their analog process is still occurring in paper or processes that have to get digitized. Um, that, that's kind of the, the current work that we're in is getting all of that launched. And, you know, Maxfall brought over a bunch of really great customers, awesome case studies. 
They're very excited about the upgrades that we've, we've brought um, to them. Some of the very strategic new customers that we've brought on into that product. Um, but going into next year where we get really excited is um, getting to that five years on a five-year plan and launching the platform complete, one login, all of the access to all of those products. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and never having to leave, like, you know, I mean, like how many times have you been in a workflow solution and you've got to leave, you've got to leave the workflow to go get a digital signature and then, and then the, you got emails involved and then you got to download it. And then you got to bring that PDF or whatever that document is back into the workflow. Like simple example, just how do you, how do you integrate it so that you have a native digital signature with your workflow tool? And that's one of six of those point products that we are, are looking to merge together. So on the one hand, it's like, we have these multiple point products that we're bringing together and becoming a multi-product company. But at the same time, we're really trying to go to market and say, these shouldn't be multiple products. They mm-hmm. should be features inside of a single platform. So right now, how do you, how do you scale a sales team? And that's one of the balances that we've like, how, you, you talk about challenges. You know, you're going to have a five-year plan to introduce all of this new vision, this new product. How do you go to your existing team and say, here's what we're doing. Here's where we're going. This is the future of this company. Halfway into the five years, two and a half years, you actually change the name of the company. And, and then you're saying, but we need you to just focus on the innovation and the strategy around the cash cow. There's this other group that's working on the Asian future. You'll be brought in when the time is right. We really need you to stay focused on making the best serverless print management platform out there. Because if, you know, that's what's funding the next phase of this company, Mm -hmm. that has been an incredible challenge. And I think there are, um, you know, for us to go from an on-prem perpetual license model to a purely SaaS ARR based model. I mean, the, the, the road of folks that didn't make it, to that, the road is just littered with, with tombstones of companies that don't make that transition. Either the technology was more complex than they anticipated and they ran out of money because of that, or when you go from three and a half years worth of revenue up front down to one year of revenue at a time, you run out of money because you just ran out of money, even though the technology was fine. Like the, it, there's so many examples of companies who don't don't make that transition. So super proud of our ability to make that transition. And now like the new challenge going from a single product to multiple products, that's, that's really where I see. Um, and then the scaling, like there's just incredible scaling that you get to as, as you start to approach hundred million and th- think about what does the company look like going into hundred million in ARR? There's just, there's, there, there are very different levels of, um, thought process, delegation, strategy that I have to get into that I was a- able to not worry about before that I has to be worried about and, and work that I could go in and do that I have to trust the team now. So I would say between those, are, those are kind of the two big challenges we really have our eyes on and do a lot of time and planning around of, of how do we make it, you know, it, it was interesting last year, um, our, we, we were a company that we, we work really heavy with OKRs. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of an Andy Grove thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're managing through objectives and key, key results. Um, 
Last year, we really focused on scaling the business so that we would be in a healthy place when we get to 100 million. Um, 100 million was kind of like inevitable. Like, it, like when we looked at the forecast, the way things were growing, it wasn't like, how do we get to 100 million? It was, okay, we're going to get to 100 million. What do we look like there? Mm-hmm. Like, are the wheels falling off the wagon? The company falling apart? Are we, are we having to like do whole cloth switch outs of executive teams and leadership and all the things that you see when people arrive to that kind of scale? Or do we take the time right now to look at our people's, our processes and our systems to actually scale up to hundred million now? So that when we get there, we're on a, we're on firm footing to say, what is the next level of scale? What does it look like when we get to 250 million in ARR, a billion in ARR? Like that's, that's, um, that's the stuff that we really are active in right now. It's just that scaling process. Excellent, ma'am. Well, unfortunately, we're up on time, you know, so this was a great perspective just kind of on the journey and how you're going, where you've, how you've gotten there and then where you're going to exactly as well. So where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Vision? And then we'll take, we'll wrap it up from there. Yeah, vision.com. Um, you can, you can learn more about the company, what's going on there. Um, in terms of, of me personally, I, I like kind of goes back to the first comment. Like I'm pretty, pretty involved in performance. So heads down working away. I don't, you know, I, I know it's funny cause we get a lot of comments of like, you're, you're this little secret down in St. George. Like when people hear about our numbers and what we're doing, it's kind of like, what really? <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of strategies. Ours is kind of head down focused on performance. So I don't, I don't actually do a lot of these podcasts. I, I, I really appreciate you making some time and space. It's, it's fun to kind of um, be able to think about some of these things and say them out loud. And um, thanks for making the forum available. Yeah, man. It was, it was hopefully share some thoughts. It was fun, dude. It was, it was, I mean, it's cool. Like I, I started off the episode, like, you know, back in the day when it was in the corporate environment, um, Printer Logic was one of the companies that, that we partnered with. So it's crazy to see how far you've come uh, over the last, you know, probably seven, eight years in, in terms of like how much the company has grown, how much the, the solutions expanded. Because like when we were talking to you, it was on-prem, you know, so I saw the yeah. first first version yeah. of, of like, you know, I should say two two or three versions ago from where you are now. So it's pretty wild and uh, it's uh, yeah. awesome to see that progress, man. So. Thanks for being on. Um, appreciate it, man. And, and uh, Thanks, Ryan. thank you all for uh, joining us as well. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.